0: Um, something a little different and uh, what I want you to get from this I don't I don't have application that that really is concrete this is more of a worship thing what I want you to get from this is the sense of awe and worship that we should all have for our creator Um, God is so much bigger than you or I can fathom or imagine that sometimes the vastness of his being and essence escapes us. So forgive me talking about such a big, magnificent being using charts and pictures. These charts and pictures are only here to illustrate what we can grope at blindly. They do not give us the full picture of the majesty and glory and bigness of God, but we're going to try to talk about the difference between us as creatures and he as the creator. So if you would um, open your Bible to Genesis 1 chapter 1. Genesis 1, chapter 1. All right. Some of y'all can probably quote this. Let's read it together. In the beginning... Right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Even the phrase, in the beginning is problematic for us to understand because whose beginning is it talking about here? God's beginning? No, our beginning. So he's already up to something when we start. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now flip partway through your Old Testament to the book of Psalms. We're laying the groundwork. We're just talking about how does the Bible talk about God creating everything and in Psalm 33, verse 6, Psalm 33, verse 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now, When we say the word of God or the word of the Lord, we often talk about the Bible. This isn't talking about the Bible. This is talking about what the Bible comes from. The Bible comes from God's proclamative word, his proclamation of who he is, his proclamation of his power. What this is talking about, though, is God's speech action. It's it's in the Bible several times where God speaks and things just exist. And it says in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. How did God make the world? He spoke it. It's, It's very similar to how in the New Testament, Jesus will go somewhere and speak and something happens. Like Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus, who was dead, jumps up in his grave clothes and walks. The speech action of God. It's all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. When we talk about the word of the Lord having command power or speech action power, when God speaks, stuff begins to exist. And so 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host, which is talking about the stars, the formations up in the heavens that spin around the entire universe was spoken into existence by God. Turn over to the New Testament now, Acts 17, laying groundwork and uh, in Acts 17, verse 24, Paul is in Athens, which is the philosophical capital of the Roman Empire. Uh, The book of Acts even tells us that the Athenians do nothing but sit around and discuss new ideas. So they're like some of the guys you see at the coffee shops in the morning, getting breakfast or the breakfast place, who have all the answers. And you can hear them proclaim the answers. And the next day they'll have some new answers. But they've always got the answers. The Athenians always had the answers, and so Paul begins to argue with them and talk with them. He gets mad because he sees a bunch of idols. The idols provoke him, the Bible says. They provoke him, he gets angry. And his answer to them of why they shouldn't have idols is Acts 17, verse 24 and verse 29. In verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, so he made the world and all the stuff in it, Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. So he doesn't live in your temples you've made, Athenians. And then verse 29, it says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Remember, I've told you about God's speech action his being. God is not like an idol of wood or clay or stone or gold or silver. And he doesn't live in temples made by human hands. That's not how God lives. That's not how he dwells. He's not made out of that stuff. Flip over to Colossians, a few books over. Book of Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 15. Now we have, uh, we've moved over from talking about God in a general sense. You know, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're talking specifically in Colossians 1 about God the Son. This is talking about Jesus Christ. There are three persons in one being. My mind, your mind cannot understand this. We believe it by faith. But it's talking about Jesus Christ right here. Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And it's not talking about time here, firstborn. It's talking about inheritance rights, legal rights. He's the firstborn. He owns it all. Because it says right here, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are created through him and for him. So through whom were all things created? Jesus Christ. And for whom are all things created? Who do they belong to? Jesus Christ. Last but not least, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And this is a... Mind-expandingly good stuff if you start to think about everything on this earth belongs to Jesus. There's nothing on this earth that, like, hey, well, that's neutral. That doesn't belong to Jesus. It's either his or it will soon be his when he comes back and claims it. But it's all his. It all belongs to him. He's the firstborn. He's got inheritance rights. Hebrews 1, 2. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. There we have it again. Who's the heir of all things? Jesus. Now look at this. The heir of all things through whom, same as Colossians, through whom also He created the world. So who did God create the world through? Jesus Christ. There's this, um, oh, look at this, verse 3. We're going to go one verse further. He is the radiance. Of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We're gonna to get to that later. He upholds who upholds the universe? Jesus. All right, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So we're gonna kind of walk through this. We're gonna talk about the difference between the creator and creation. When when we're dealing with this idea that there is a creator and a distinct creation. We're we're going to be talking later on in this lesson about different religions, how they view this. We as Christians have a distinct view of creator and creation from other religions. The Judeo-Christian stream of thought is much different than every other religion because these verses teach us Some way of viewing the cosmos. Now, the cosmos is the Greek word for universe in the New Testament. So when I say cosmos, it means universe or creation. It's all the stuff that's not God. All the stuff that is not God. So that's the first one is your first blank on your page. If you want to fill it in is is these verses teach that the universe, the cosmos, is not God. It's, It's not made out of the same stuff That God subsists as it's different Um, we don't worship it you know there are some people who will say like the earth is sacred and in a sense the earth is sacred because God has made it for a holy purpose to redeem his church on but the actual like dirt and trees and all that stuff is not sacred in the same sense that we say God is holy it's different we don't worship creation um your second blank is it was made by god or created by god made or created it was made by god it wasn't floating around and god found it and said i'm gonna lasso that and move it over here christianity does not believe the universe was just kind of sitting there floating and god was like well let's play pottery and just make a really nice world for people um Met a guy one time who was, he claimed to be a Christian, but he didn't believe very much of the Bible. And he said that he believed that God was a super strong spiritual, like scientific being that knew a bunch of science, but also good moral stuff. And that he came one day to this universe that was just full of stuff. And he's like, oh, what can I find here? And he found earth and there were primates, monkeys on earth. And he said, I bet I could put a soul in that monkey and it would evolve into a human. No. Like that—that's violating this, and a lot of people will say stuff like that. But no, like God didn't find the universe just kind of teeming with life; He created it and then made it teem with life. Yes. About through Jesus. Yes. We, we will. We will get to that towards the end, and that and. If there's time. Maybe we'll get to that. So third is it was made out of nothing. And so if, if, if I asked you what was the pizza made out of tonight and, and, I, and you answered out of nothing, we would think you did not quite understand the kitchen very well. Um, sometimes my kids think that my wife cooks out of nothing it just appears magically. They don't realize it took a lot of time, but the universe was made out of nothing. Um, let me get, give you a couple of verses here just to talk about real quick. One, if you got your Bible, Second Peter. This is rabbit trail number one. 2 Peter chapter three. 2 Peter chapter three. The universe is made out of nothing. Um, the... Sometimes you will hear it referred to as ex nihilo, from nothing. Second um, Peter 3, verse 5, is talking about people who are scoffing that God will return one day and fix everything. And Peter says this, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So he's talking about God forming the earth, the land from the water, but he's like, but these are all from the word of God. Remember I told you that the word of God is the creative action by which God creates everything. So the land came from out of the water and the water came from the word of God. Like God spoke it, there was nothing before that. Uh, he continues in verse 6, and that by means of all these, the world that then existed was deluged, which water and perished. You know about Noah. Verse 7, but the same world, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up. I mean, that's, we're going to get to that in a minute. Remember how I told you out of Hebrews that Jesus upholds the, wor- the world by the word of his power? Same language here. The same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So you've got this idea that the world existed from nothing and now it's being upheld by the word of Jesus Christ. Same imagery from Colossians and Hebrews. Also Psalm 148. Psalm 148. We're about to get to some pictures after this. I like pictures, If you know, like I'm a picture learner. So we're about to get to some pictures, all right? Psalm 148 verse 5 and he and just i'm going to give you the background starting like in verse 3 praise him sun and moon praise him all you shining stars praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens let them praise the name of the lord for he commanded and they were created he commanded they were created there there wasn't like a long process between him commanding and them being created there wasn't an intermediary where it's like hey i found some stuff let me make it into heaven and earth it, it came from his word so let's take a step back and look what is the cosmos all right this circle it's a you know Anytime we talk about God, we're going to have a limitation of what we can illustrate and what we can't. This is not a perfect illustration, but I think it gets us where we're going. There's God, and, and let's pretend that God only exists right now. This is before anything else is created. What is the cosmos? It's just God. Like, God self-exists. And he's 100% God. It's not like the universe is... Uh, you know, part God and part something else. It's just God. That's, that's a really weird thought. But the only thing that really exists in and of itself is God. Now, anything that were to exist outside of God would be not God. That's just simple logic, right? You get it. If there's God and anything else exists, it's not God. So we're going to talk about Genesis 1-1. God creates the universe, Right? That universe exists. Is it God? No. Now, it exists because of an act of will of God. And look, God has not sunk down to 98 or 97 or or even like 99.9%. He's still God, isn't he? Like he didn't have to like cut some God out of himself to make the universe. It came out of something different. God exists, and the universe was created by an act of his will and exists outside of it. It's not God. We don't worship the universe, all right? So this is what we call the creator-creation distinction. We have a difference in Christian theology when we talk about God and the world that other religions don't have. So here's the quote. It's, um... You can see it on your page about a little over halfway down. Creation exists by an act of will by God apart from the essence of God. Because remember, God has not like gone down any percentage. And I know that's a bad illustration because he's infinite, but he hasn't gone down to create this. It's not his essence. Some religions believe the earth is a sacred substance because a God or God has put his essence in it. Christianity does not believe that. That's what you would call uh, pantheism. We'll get to in a minute. But it is apart from the essence of God. That's your second blank. But not apart from a continued act of God to sustain it. So God created it by act, it exists apart from his essence, and his will sustains it. This means we don't believe something called dualism. And I'm going to uh, show you really quick with a picture what dualism is. Here is dualism. Um, dualism is the belief that God and creation have always existed. They're co-eternal. Not only have they always existed, but there's no explanation for either of them. Like, there wasn't a point in time that God said, I'm going to make creation, it'll exist apart from me. In, in this idea, they always existed, God finds creation or either in some, you know, religions might gain it by a war and acts upon it, but he didn't create it. That's dualism. A lot of times, you ever seen the yin and yang symbol? All right, yin and yang or yin and yang if you're from the south. Yin and yang, that's dualism. Evil and good are both equally powerful sides of one unity that's from chinese taoism chinese philosophy a lot of eastern religions believe in that dualism is just it's like there's two expressions of one thing and they always exist and they always fight but neither one can cancel out the other if you ever watch star wars that's the force the dark side the light side it's kind of weird to talk about that but you know that's where it comes from dualism so we know that dualism is unbiblical because we have the verse in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth we have all those verses we just read dualism is not biblical we we don't get there from the bible we don't believe that as as christians um by the way our, and this is a little rabbit trail number two. We're going to have a couple of rabbit trails. Rabbit trail number two. When you get into dualism, you ask somebody who believes dualism. And, and if you've ever heard of Zen Buddhism, you will ask a Zen Buddhist uh, a question and they give you an illogical answer. Like they're supposed to answer questions like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And they'll answer it something like by saying dog. And you're supposed to go, that doesn't make sense. And they're like, there is no sense. That that's from dualism, but there's no good or evil in dualism. Ultimately, you might not like it, but you just got to deal with it because it's part of the greater whole of the universe. Uh, Buddhism, much of the same way, where it's like you 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 want good. Well, good is an illusion. Uh, you know, try having a moral argument with a person who believes that it doesn't usually go anywhere. Um, But that's because dualism believes in co-eternal entities that are at opposition with each other. And creation and God did not co-eternally exist. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's talk about the second one. Because we believe that from the Bible, we do not believe pantheism. I've got another picture for you of pantheism. Y'all ready? All right. There's only one circle there, isn't there? Pantheism believes that God and the creation are one and the same. Sometimes it's called panentheism. Sometimes it's called, in liberal Christian circles from Germany, it was called process theology. A um, guy named uh, Schliemacher uh, believed in it because he studied eastern religions and thought that'd be cool to put in christianity and so he did and he was the one of the fathers of what's called german liberalism not political but theological and um but pantheism believes that god and creation are the same so basically this microphone stand is god the microphone y'all are the universe as a whole is God and a lot of nature religions believe this that's how they they worship sacred groves sacred trees things like that it's because God and creation mix the uh, ancient Native Americans with sacred animals this is where they get it from there was a sense in which the creator and the creation mixed and there might be objects that were more sacred or less sacred but this is why, because God and creation are really the same thing. There's no distinction between the two. Well, I don't have to tell you that Christianity does not believe this because uh, there are some verses in Isaiah where God actually mocks the Israelites who make an idol. And it says something to the effect of you take a nice tree and you chop it down. Half of it, you, this actually out of Jeremiah, half of it, uh, you cook your food over. And the other half, you worship. And he's like, it can't hear you. It can't save you. What are you doing? You know, the creation cannot save you. Uh, Romans 1 talks about this. Uh, Romans chapter 1, it talks about how the sinful heart of human beings exchanges the glory of the creator for that which is created. And makes images and worships them. And that's why Paul was so provoked in that Acts 17 passage we read. They're getting it wrong. They're they're getting pantheism and, and making the universe, the creation, the cosmos, part of the creator or part of God. And so... Like I said, we do not believe that. I'm going to quote from a a book called Genesis in Space and Time, page 57 and 58. It's by Francis Schaeffer. He says, Genesis makes it plain that the world as we have it is not an extension of the essence of God. The Bible does not teach that this world is made out of the stuff that God subsists in. It is different. It is distinct. It is separate. Though it is, in a sense, sacred if god so says it is it is not god it is not holy so you can see um pantheism is not what the bible teaches now last but not least is deism some of our founding fathers uh were very well noted deists Um, thomas jefferson Took his Bible and he cut out every miraculous occurrence from the life of Jesus that he could, with a razor blade, and he wanted a naturalist's Bible. You know, he didn't. He didn't want miracles. He didn't. He wanted the laws of, of reason, and what laws of science he understood to be the the dictates that governed the universe and should govern our moral interactions. Uh, the way that deists uh, are often described is they believe in the watchmaker God. Now, some of y'all have grandfather clocks or like Bill Hughes up here has an office full of clocks. During staff meetings on Zoom, we have to ask him to mute his iPad because if you're at a 15 of the hour, you're going to hear seven or eight clocks go off within 15 seconds of each other. Now, why do his clocks have alternating alarms? Because they get out of sync, don't they? They get out of time with each other. He winds them up, and then they wind down. Well, deists were believed in God as a clockmaker. He wound up the universe, and then now he's just letting it unwind. But he's not active in it. It works through its own motions. He does not uphold it by the word of his power. It's self-animated. Well, deism is not what the Christian view is. God is intimately Active in the world and in the universe right now as the Bible says he upholds it with the word of his power It's not just wind it set it and forget it. It's not like that. So Here's my picture to illustrate this. There's creation. There's the act of will God created it But let's ask the question here. God winds up the watch and just lets it go Well, according to the Bible This is what would happen It's going to be kind of weird, but if if God were to remove the act of will he has right now from the universe, if he was to say, I'm done willing that it exists, well, we'd never know it, but we would no longer exist. We don't live in and of ourselves, As Paul told the Athenians, in him, we move and live and have our being. We live in the will of God. The universe continues in the will of God. Without that will, it's not permanent. Just because it's physical doesn't mean it's permanent. And so we do not believe deism, that God has just wound up the universe and then it spins for a few millennia or however long, and then it's done. We believe that it's right now being upheld by a continued act of his will his continued act of creation every and some theologians have viewed it this way i don't know if this is the best way i'm just explaining it but they say you have to view every second as another act of creation and god wills create 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 exist 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 and the minute he would stop the minute he would say no more there wouldn't be a next second it's upheld by his continual will he can do this he's god he's infinite the picture doesn't do it justice, all right? So we've got this, um, remember I told you in 2 Peter 3, 7 that there was this idea that the present heavens and earth were being stored up for a day of fire? You remember that word, stored up? It's this idea that, that everything's being saved up. Everything is being like ready for something. There's going to come a great cataclysm at some point to the universe. And if you turn back to 2 Peter 3, we'll look at that. Because I want to talk about that second bullet point in just a minute from this. Remember, I told you there's not going to be a great three-step plan from this of, you know, how to apply this to your life. I hope that as you go to sleep tonight, you're just kind of like wow, God, like, that's amazing. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, so they're waiting. He's waiting. He's holding them up, waiting for something, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there's this day this day of what's called destruction and judgment, you know from the book of Revelation what day he's talking about, right? Well, the, the thing about that day, the, these present heavens, this present cosmos, what does the book of Revelation say happens to it? Y'all remember? Some of y'all? All right. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. All right, so like we're talking about a different type of existence than exists presently at this point. And remember, like this is a place where it says he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That can't happen here. It's a different type of creation. Also, do you remember in 2 Corinthians, no, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about the new body? What does he call it? He says the first one's carnal, it's 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 subject to decay, but what's the second body? Yes, after the resurrection, but he, he uses an adjective to describe it. He says it's a spiritual body verse 46 chapter 15 but it's not the spiritual that is first of the natural and then the spiritual so it's weird to think about but physical reality we're talking about physical now does not self exist it draws its being from the will of god but there is a new heaven and new earth that's going to be the bible tells us spiritual like this is kind of like a blueprint What's real? What can you live in? The blueprint or the house? The house, right? So this is the blueprint. And the spiritual is the house. The basis of physical reality, like where does physical reality come from, is not from another physical reality, it's spiritual. I mean, I know you can get down to the atomic, subatomic levels. You talk about, well, this isn't um, any different than anything else. It's just atoms are arranged in a certain way to give this a transparent, plastic, view if you look at those atoms they're made up of the same stuff that gold or neon gas or anything else is made out of and if you even look into the building blocks of the atoms they're just positive and negative charges right and quarks and all these weird things that spin one way and the other one spin a certain way and there's a weak gravitational constant strong gravitational constant and then dark energy somewhere y'all know like this is all physics stuff that i don't understand you talk about why does that stuff even exist? Nobody knows. It's just there. Well, God made it. It doesn't explain itself. You can go down to the smallest particle that we can find, and you're going to find another question. And the Bible gives you the answer. There's a spiritual reality underneath the physical reality that we kind of sit on temporarily until God turns it over. And at some point in the future, God will turn it over. And like the Bible says, you will see not through a glass half dark, not dimly anymore. What we're going to close with is kind of a song of praise. I won't sing it. We'll read it from Jeremiah 51. And like I said, I don't have any great application for you, except that if you can feel Jeremiah 51, as you go to sleep tonight and rest your worries on a God who's bigger than you can even fathom, then you'll do all right, okay? Verse 15, Jeremiah 51, and it's on the bottom of your sheet if you want to go home and read it tonight. It says, and this will be our closing, I'll give it over to Jeff after that. Through Jesus Christ, right? Okay, I will mention through Jesus Christ after this, and then I will do that. All right. Verse 15. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens. And he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. And he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. I love this verse. This is not my translation. Maybe yours is doctored up a little bit. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. We don't understand this stuff. We are stupid. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Now look at this one. This is the closing. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. This great God has given himself thusly to you, church, as he gave himself to Israel to be his people, you his people, and he your God. And it says we are stupid without him. So real quick on by and through Jesus Christ. Um. And I'm just going to give you the most simple answer I can. We can do more detail about this another time. But in uh, Proverbs chapter 8, there's this, there's this uh, portion of Scripture where it talks about how God created the world with wisdom. We all know that Jesus Christ is called the wisdom of God in Scripture. He's called the Word, the logos. In Greek, the idea logos was one of rational thought, of logic, of wisdom. It's, uh, it's why the world looks orderly and everything works. It's why like weird stuff happens, like bees will be attracted to a certain color of flower. And without the bees being attracted to that certain color of flower, that flower could not pollinate other flowers and those flowers wouldn't exist. It's like this interconnected biochemical information transfer system in in the universe that we call nature. And it runs off the wisdom and knowledge and, and, and like subtlety of God where God just made it to do all the stuff. But also you've got morality bound up in that in scripture where the natural universe and morality are tied together to, that show God's wisdom. And so in chapter 8 uh, of Proverbs, it, um, I'm trying to find the exact verse here. When there were no depths, this is verse 24. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, He keeps going and going. Then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Who could it be talking about there? It's it's personifying wisdom, but who could it be talking about there? Jesus. So all of life was made almost like Jesus, the Logos, the wisdom of God, was worked in every detail We can't see it yet. We see it more and more as we mature in Christ. But one day, when creation turns over, we'll see it more fully. It's like in every crack, in every joint, in every foundation beam, Jesus is written into it. Through his wisdom, through the purpose of the universe to show his glory, and one day to bend and bow under his rule, Jesus Christ was written into the information code that governs the universe from morality to subatomic particle attractions. Everything has Jesus all over it. So that's uh in a really quick way that's really vague what I think it means when it's created through Jesus Christ. It was almost like he was creation's got his thumbprints all over it. Does that kind of make sense? And we kind of pulled that from Proverbs 8, from some parts in Ephesians, and those verses. So that's just a real quick rundown of it. Any questions, comments, complaints, anything you want to throw at me? Yes. Um, exactly yes. Yes. Yeah, um, Miss Carolyn said that, uh, she's quoting another Christian author, says, we think wrongly when we think that we're a body that has a soul. We're a soul that has a body. We're an embodied soul. Your body right now is temporary. Your soul is eternal. And one day, the Bible does say, you will be re-embodied, but it will be what is called a spiritual body, a proper house for your soul, a proper house to dwell with God. Um, And, you know, and Paul does call this a tent, and I often think about this, would you rather live in a tent or a house? Paul says, we don't long to be unclothed, meaning we don't, we don't long to just lose our body like the Greek philosophers. Oh, I just want to be a free soul. He says, we want to be further clothed. We want a better body. We groan for the redemption of our bodies and creation groans for its redemption in Romans 8. So that's a very good point. Any more questions? All right. Jeff, come take it away. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.